Okay, this morning, uh, God uh, just really blessed us. And, and it's just so amazing how right in the midst of our circumstances and our situations, right in the midst of times of thoughts that aren't even his, that we become occupied with, in comes uh, the precious light, the energy, and energy we know when God acts in energy towards us, he's acting in his love towards us. And that love is the thing that brings the light of conviction. And when I function in the light of conviction, I never experience the condemnation of the enemy and of the world system. There isn't any condemnation for us in Christ in Romans 8, 1. And so we have the light of the conviction of the word. And that's what, what light, uh, again, love is the active energy of God's nature. And then light is the purity of that nature. And that light comes in and purges. It causes, as we were saying this morning, and we will look there later, a little later on, in Song of Solomon, where all the shadows flee away. Flee away. And so this is what he's doing with us. In Psalm 23 and verse 1, it says, The Lord, my shepherd, I do not lack. He makes me to lie down in pastures of tender grass. That's what it says in the original, tender grass. And notice that he makes me to lie down, but yet in my experience, he lays down with me in the rest that he and his father have based upon what he's accomplished to his father and for us. And then he leads me when I'm lying down and when I'm at rest, he leads me beside what calm, very calm waters. And in those calm waters, I look into the waters and I see the reflection of the beautiful image that I have because Christ is in me and because I am in him. And so I look into these calm waters and then I see the beauty of who Christ is in me. And then when that happens, and this is Ephesians 4 and verse 23, and this is Romans 12, 1 and 2. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, holy, completely, acceptable unto God, which is your only reasonable right thinking. It's your only reality to God so that you're not conformed to the shadows of this world, the doubts, the fears. That you're not conformed to this uh, world system, but that you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that goes in to Ephesians 4, verse 23. So when Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in the 20th verse through to the 24th verse is... We are renewed when we put off the old. And the old then is how the enemy brings in the shadows of doubt and fear and casts these shadows over the purity of the light, of the, the incredible image that Christ is in us and that we are in him. And so then we have a proper view. We begin to see everything like God sees 
In Job 36 and verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous. There's never a shadow. There's never anything that gets in the way of God's view of us because God's view of us is Christ. And in that is all his love. And that's active energy that causes us to get up and walk and, and to walk and keep the shadows behind with the light in front of us. And he always leads us through. It's what he told Moses in Exodus 14 and verse 15. He told him in Exodus 14 and verse 13. He said, stand still. Stand still. And for us in Christ, that means to see who we are in Christ. To see God's view of us. To actually participate with it. And not be a stranger to it through these shadows. But that's exactly what God would have us to understand uh, this morning in the purity of that light. So again, we need this energy and, and, and love who God is in 1 John 4, 8 and 16 is his active energy. And out of that active energy comes the purity of his light. And remember that light is something, an element, which refuses to be mixed with anything other than itself. That's what we need. So we come to hear the word, and sometimes there's shadows. There could be irritation, it could be frustration, it could be doubt, it could be fears, it could be improper anger, and all of these things are shadows over the light of, our, of Christ in us. Even the psalmist said in Psalm 27 and verse 1, the Lord is my light. He's my reality. He's my image. And my salvation, my constant deliverance. And in that light, who will I fear? Who will I fear? Psalm 36, verse 9 says, With you, O God, is the fountain of life, and in your light we will see light. We've been sharing uh, recently on Titus 1 and verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. That means we see, again, even evil, we see it, recognize it, but it doesn't take precedence over us. And it doesn't have any negative effects on us because we see it like God does. And we're immovable, always abounding in his work as he works it through us and works in and through us to others in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. And so here we do what we do. He Then he restores my soul. So Ephesians 4.20 says we have to put off the old man. That's all the shadows where the enemy comes in and tries to cast these shadows. We put off the old and then we need to put on the new. Put on the new. And that's something that happens when we come and we have the opportunity to have the word. Then that word cleanses us in Psalm 119 verse 9. Uh, how will a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto, according to your word. And that's why in Psalm 119, verse 11, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you and, be, and get into the shadows and then end up in total darkness and total confusion, which there is none in Christ in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33. And so he renews he renews our mind. He gets rid of all those shadows. And this is what this full teaching is bringing out this morning for God. And then he leads me. He leads me 
Well, here we, and, and it's the still waters, you see. First we have to lie down. First we have to lie down. And the first thing that we can experience, I think a lot in a lot of cases, even before we experience his grace, remember his, his grace is always in its first place, always provenient, meaning he still is gracious towards us, even when my will hasn't submitted to it. He's still gracious. But while that is going on in the provenience of his grace, obviously it's his love that anticipates everything about us. You see that in Daniel, the 10th chapter, verses 1 to 13. He anticipates everything about us. And so when this happens and when this is going on, he causes us to lie down in green pastures. Green has been proven scientifically is the most relaxing, calming color to the human eye. It's green. And many times this speaks of mercy. And so mercy is always that God in his loving kindness towards us, even before grace has done that work in us, he doesn't give us what we deserve to get. That's mercy. So that he leads me now. He leads me because, because of mercy. Now he leads me beside these still waters and these still waters is what is the effectiveness of what grace can do in us when we submit to it in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6 and James 4 and verse 6. Then he gives us grace. And grace is God adding to us things that we don't deserve to get. So again, mercy is God not adding to us what we deserve to get. And grace, then, as he leads me beside these still waters, now now what do I see? This is what I see. I see now God adding to me what I don't deserve to get, what I couldn't merit, but it's what Christ did in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And now I see a proper image through the work that Christ has accomplished in me. In, in uh, Ephesians 2 and verse 10, then he begins to restore my soul. He restores my soul. Then he leads me now in the path of righteousness. And that path is a path that in Job 28 and verse 7, no vulture, no vulture, no demonic influence can affect. That path is lit up in Proverbs 4 and verse 18. And when I experience it inwardly, I am lit up in Psalm 34 and verse 5. He lights me up inwardly with the energy of his love and the purity of the life that Christ has given me. It's truly who I am. He's my true reality. And then when he has this in me, oh, how I desire to have nothing but the purity of fellowship with other believers. That's my whole reason for even being with them as he leads me. And then he makes me to lie down, as we said in these green pastures. He leads me beside these calm waters and then he restores my soul. And then he leads me in the paths of righteousness and it's all for his namesake, meaning that God is doing everything and everything that God can do is based upon the person of his son that has propitiated him and become our substitute. 
and reconciled us to him. And named there means everything about the person of Christ and what he's accomplished for each and every one of us as individuals. He does it for his name's sake. Of course it has to be mercy. They're new every morning in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. They're new every single morning. You see, every single person, even unsaved, those that are in Christ, and they're still breathing his air, still there's mercy there. Hopefully that they receive the grace that can save them in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit in John 16, 8 to 11, so that once they can be reborn again and be in Christ, now they, now he can guide them like he guides us in John 16, 13 and 14 into all truth, to all truth, where there's not a shadow of a doubt in his truth. Because we know in Numbers 23 and verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie. Know the son of man that he would ever change his mind. Has he not said and will he not do it? Has he not spoken and will it not come to pass? And yes, it will. And to the end there in, in Numbers 23, verse 23, we say, oh my God, look at the work that he's wrought. Look at what he's done in me. Oh, I desire to have that inward fellowship with him. And then when I get with others, what else do we have in common? But Christ and to fellowship. And so here, again, it, then it's, he does all of this for his sons who glorified him. Remember, he glorified him even prior to the cross, he did nothing but glorify his father, where the, the intensity was manifested on the cross. But that path was lit up that Christ walked in, and he glorified his father in John 13, uh, 31 and 32. He glorified him, and that's why even in Jesus Christ's high priestly prayer, and that's the Lord's true prayer, not the disciples' prayer in Matthew Chapters 5 uh, through 6. And that's that's he taught his disciples, his earthly disciples how to pray, his Jewish earthly disciples how to pray. But the Lord's Prayer for us, the Lord's Prayer is what he accomplished, even finishing the work as he's looking at the cross to go there and manifest it. In John 17 and verse 4, he said, I finished the work. I have glorified you. That now, in that glory, where there's not a shadow, just the purity of that light, just the purity of it comes out. There's not a shadow on it. And it reveals to us, each of us individually, in John 17, 11, 21, and 22, just how one he's made us to be with him and his father. That's why he told Mary at the tomb when she finally recognized him because he said her name like no one ever could say it. No one could ever pronounce her name like the shepherd in John 10, 3, 14, and 27. But she saw him at the tomb. And then finally, she said in 20, in verse 16, Oh, master, my master. We hear his voice, he comes in, and he masters us. It does away with all shadows. 
because no man is master of himself. And in Matthew 6 and verse 24, no one's master of themselves. None of us are. We need to be mastered. And that's why we need that yoke in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. We need to have it in our youth in Lamentations 3 and verse 27 so that we can know our creator in Ecclesiastes 12, 1, in the days of our youth so that the evil days, the shadow and the darkness of evil doesn't spread its negative effect on us. And so what we see here is we begin to wrap this up this morning. He does it all for his namesake. And now here we are in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through, you see, I walk through the valley. It's only the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, never to leave me nor forsake me. In Joshua 1, 5, never Never, never, never with a triple salutation in Hebrews 13 and verse 5. I will never, no, never in any way, no, never in any way at all, ever leave you nor forsake you. I will not leave you when you're in the two. In Romans 1, 17, I will be with you and I will lead you. And the climb may be hard, but I'll be with you and I will give you just enough energy Give us this day our daily bread, it says. Daily bread. And he's that bread in John 6 and verse 30 through 58 that came down, that fed them in the wilderness in the type in Numbers, in in Exodus the 16th chapter in verses 12, 13, and 14. And so here we see this again. I will fear no evil for you're with me. And your, your, your staff your staff that guides me, your staff that is the rod of the authority of your love that guides me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, they comfort me. He uses the rod to keep the enemy away, to keep the wolves away in John the 10th chapter, starting at verse seven through 11, to keep, keep all them out. Keep the wolves out from devouring us in our experience. And, and so then what he does, that's what he uses the rod for, to, to cause those shadows, those lying wolves, to keep them away. And then that staff he uses to guide us. Yeah, and, he, and that staff is the authority of the rule of his love that comforts us. And that's what his love does. And then he, what does he do? He prepares a table before me right in the presence of my enemies. And then he anoints my head with oil. And this is the Holy Spirit who takes the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14 and shows them unto us. He doesn't speak of himself, but he speaks of Christ. And that is the unction that each of us have in 1 John 2, 20. The Holy Spirit is the anointing. He's the anointing. It's not an emotional thing that man experiences. No, it's not. There's not like 26 or 28 different anointings. There's the Holy Spirit in 1 John 2 and verse 27. He is the anointing. He's the oil. You see, back then when they would travel through the desert with the sun, they would put oil on their head to keep it 
keep them from being overwhelmed and being heated up in the midst of their trials and circumstances. And that's what we pass through. And we walk as he walks. He leads us with his steps in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a man that's been graced out by God. And if there's any good, it's the good that God is in. That's what a good man is, the goodness of God in him. He leads us in these steps. And life is our steps. And you prepare the table. You anoint my head with oil. And then what happens? My cup, my capacity, it overflows. And that's what makes it important to rest in the patience of his love, not only for myself, but for others, to rest in the patience of his love. And though at times in the valley, between the two mountains, in the two spot, in the two place, there's where in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred begins to make the heart sick. Because the desire might be wrong, it might be and it might not be. But if the desire is not wrong, it has to come at God's time in Genesis 18. In verse 14. But hope deferred is hope deferred is God stretching our capacity for God's glory, our blessing, but not just for our blessing, you see. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but not if, but when the desire, when when is the what is the desire and when does it come? At God's set time again in Genesis 18 and verse 14. It's God says, Delight yourself in me. When you get together with other Christians, what's your delight? Delight yourself in the Lord in Psalm 37 and verse 4, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. And then with that, resting, resting in tender grass, led beside still waters, seeing who, what my image truly is, and anointing my head and preparing a table, doing all of this is so amazing. Then hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, I am able in Psalm 37 and verse 5 to roll all my anxiety, all my care on him, because in 1 Peter 5, 7, he does care for us. And that's why in Psalm 55 and verse 22, it says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He'll never allow those that are in Christ, the righteous, to be moved because Christ is our righteousness in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. And then we see again, surely, oh, absolutely, certainly, the goodness of God. Goodness here simply means this now. In Romans 8, 28, all things work together for God's divine good to them that love God. To them that love God, that receive that love. To them that realize in that love through the purity and light of the scriptures that we're called according to God's purpose and God's purpose cannot fail. We see that in Ephesians, the, the first chapter, in the ninth verse, the 11th verse down through the 12th and 13th verse. God's purpose cannot fail because we are in Christ. Everything about God's purpose has to do with who he's made us to be in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, surely, certainly, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and then I will dwell in the house of the Lord with him face to face forever in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. 
and experience the depth of that fellowship in Revelations 2 and verse 17 in the most intense and in, in the most pure way. And we can see all of this truth brought out beautifully in Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon has everything to do with who Christ is and what he's accomplished. And you will see it. You will see it all through. And in, in, at some point we want to get into Song of Solomon and, and possibly, if God has it, to even write some things about it that God would, would choose to give to us so that we could see. And you can see all through here, all through this, in there in portions, that the shadows flee away. They flee away. These shadows flee away. And we see the beauty of that. And at some point, at some point, we do want to get into that. But everything that Song of Solomon leads up to, everything that it leads up to is Song of Solomon 4 and verse 7, where it says, and, he, and he, we see this in the clarity of the word, in the calmness of the water of the word, and that water cleanses us. He does that in John chapter 13 and verses 4 through 10, and we see it in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, where he's constantly cleansing us so that we walk in the purity of a proper image and experience his love. And that's what Song of Solomon 4, 7 is teaching. And then when we see the way that he sees us. See, God's sight of us is Christ. God's view of us is Christ. And that's purity. And that's why in Song of Solomon 4 and verse 8, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, in Psalm 23 and verse 4, our view is upward. We begin to look from the top. We don't, we have, we walk, but we don't live horizontally on the earth. Our walk is an upward walk. It's vertical. Everything about us is going to meet him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, and in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, and in Revelations 4 and verse 1, we're going to be snatched out of here and meet him in the clouds of the air. In our position, our true position, as he is above everything, he's already made us the seat in heaven to be seated in heavenly places right now. Ephesians, the first chapter, verses 1 through 23, bring it out beautifully. And then we arrive in Ephesians 2 and verse 6 and see that we're seated above. And seated above there in Ephesians 2 and verse 6 is what Song of Solomon, chapter 4 and verse 8, is bringing out. We look from the top. And then he brings us to see this. I am my beloveds. Thank God we don't belong to any other thought other than the full thought of God, which is Christ. And that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to have our heads anointed with the soil. And, and uh, I am my beloved's, and his desire is towards me. You see, that's Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and boy, is God going to give you his desires. And what could be better than that? What could be better than that? We see God's better we see his best in the, in, in the book of Hebrews. But, and we are his. He said, I am my beloved, and his desire is towards me. Then we see in, in Song of Solomon 8 and verse 3, it says, his left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. 
and embraces me, and that's the right hand. The right hand in Psalm 110 and verse 1, in Hebrews 1, 12 and 13, in Acts 2, 34 and 35, and countless other scriptures. And the stars were in his right hand in Revelations 1 and verse 20. And we're his little stars in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, in verse 42 to 44. We're his little stars that, that are lit up in the, in the darkness in night of his absence in John 9, verses 4 and 5. His left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. And then we set him in Song of Solomon 8, verse 6, as the seal upon our heart. He seals his love. He stamps us with the approval and acceptance in Ephesians 1, 6 of his love as a seal upon your arm, meaning everything you do is telling you you're his. Everything you do is for his glory as Christ does it in you and through you in Philippians 2, 12 and 13 with our will submitted to him. And then we see that love is, is, is even stronger than death and the jealousy, the jealousy and fire of his love. You see, he's a jealous God. These coals are of a most vehement flame. He's a jealous God, jealous in his love for us in Exodus 20 and verse 5. Jealous with his love for us, Exodus 34 and verse 14. Jealous over us with his love in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 24. And that love, that jealous love through the purity and light and he of his word melts everything else away that is not of him so that we function in the purity and light of his love. And he's a jealous God. And in Hebrews 12 and verse 29, you see jealousy is as what? Jealousy is as cruel or is as hard. It's going to be even harder. See, the enemy comes in and wants us to be hard and bitter in Hebrews 12 and verse 15, but something that comes in and it's more enduring and harder than that is called his love and it drives all that out, all of that hatred and bitter and anger stored up. And those, is, this is cruel, jealousy is cruel as the grave, the coals thereof that were taken off the fire of the, the altar of sacrifice. We see that in Isaiah 6 verses 2 and 3 and 4. They were taken off there in 4, four and 5, those coals in, in Isaiah, the 6th chapter. And those coals are a most vehement flame, and they consume everything that's not of him. It consumes every shadow and every darkness. And then many waters, the many waters there. That's Ephesians 5 and verse 26 and 27, you see. Many waters cannot quench love. The waters of the enemy. But now comes in the purity of the water of the word, those still waters in Psalm 23. And neither can the floods, you know, in Isaiah 59 and verse 19, when the enemy comes in like a flood, then the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard. And that standard is Christ in us and who we are in him. And then the enemy has to flee because we submit. We put Christ between us and the shadows, the lies, the enemy, the darkness. We see that very clearly in James chapter 4, verses 6. We submit to him, he flees in 7, 
Then we draw near in James 4 and verse 8. And then we see that there's those floods cannot drown love. If a man would give all the substance of his, of his, uh, for that love, which you can't buy, in Isaiah 55 and verse 1, come and buy without money, because otherwise, without his love and the energy and purity and light of the scriptures, who Christ is constantly in you, and you and him, then you'll spend your money in Isaiah 55 and verse 2 on things that can't do a single thing for you. There'll be no love. Love won't profit you anything. And, and the enemy tries to convince us in 1 Corinthians 13 too, that if you're not experiencing love, you're nothing and God's against you and your circumstances are. So settle for less. But no, all our value in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 3 is in his love for us, which never changes. In Malachi 3, 6, we said it again in Hebrews 13, 8, and in John 1 and verse 17. We couldn't even begin. We can't even begin to measure that love because it's immeasurable. We'll experience it now. We'll experience it now as he leads us with his, the energy of his love through the light and purity of the scriptures to a place where, in eternity, where we're going to be individually with Christ in Revelations 2 and verse 17, yet all of us singing together in Revelations 5, 9 through 12, around his throne, and it's preparing us for our meeting, our face-to-face meeting, where never again, love will never ever again, the purity of the word, that love will never ever again be disturbed or distracted by any shadow or any darkness because then we see that love in Ephesians 3 and verse 19 that passes knowledge. We'll never come to the end of how deeply and how much he loves us. And Father, we thank you so much for the purity and preciousness of your word for us this morning. I thank you, Lord, for giving me the comfort of your love. And only your love can do away with all the hurts, the pain, the rejection, the things that get in the way of you desiring a deep desire to have intimate fellowship and an exchange life with Christ between two. Father, I just pray that these days coming, even from now forward, that these days coming, that this will be our our beautiful experience for your glory. Not only for our blessing, but yes, it's there first, but for the blessing of others in Jesus' name. Amen.